Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth. We are going to pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Kings in the Old Testament. Uh, we are at chapter 10. We're going to begin with verse 1 if you want to read along with me. Here we go. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those reared who reared Ahab's son, saying, okay, so the two different kingdoms, the, the Jewish people as a collective are divided at this point in the narrative into two particular kingdoms, one the kingdom of Judah and the other the kingdom of Israel. Collectively, the 12 of us are all tribes. Um, so that's who's, what's happening here, and they're uh, talking about having a summit. Verse 2. Now, as soon as the letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons. So now, it's the summit is sounding more and more like a threat, like it's one kingdom approaching another, not for peace treaty, but almost like they're declaring war, letting know, letting them know they're getting ready to attack them. Get yourself ready. The same way we read about previously. When the land was colonized, uh, that the people are now occupied. But could be wrong. Let's see. Verse 3. Choose the best qualified of your master's sons. Set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. So that's exactly what they're doing. They're basically declaring war, letting them know you should find a leader, choose a good one, and make him your leader, your king. Put him on the throne. And let him know he's going to be the head of war. He, just like the president of America is the commander-in-chief, it's because he commands the armies. The Congress or whatever funds it, but he's the one supposedly who commands it. So um, similarly, that's what they're letting them know. We're coming to you, bringing the fight. So be ready. Why they would do that? Unless I, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to give your enemy the heads up if you're getting ready to attack them. Unless you believe your enemy would uh, acquiesce to your demands or, you know, cowardly just roll over and let, roll out a carpet and let you take over, which has happened in the past with different wars in the world. Let's see. Verse 4. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? So we read about the battle of the last chapter. How um, the two kingdoms went up against one and the one took them down. So now the people are wondering, how could they possibly? And the one that took them down had a prophet visit him, as they're called, and give him the news, letting him know he was going to be anointed the new king. And he uh, was. He did what he had to do and stepped into that pathway that it seems was already laid out for him that the prophet somehow was able to see. <coughs> Excuse me. So showing us another example that even though uh, people may not be Christian, they may not be Jewish, they may not be religious at all, they still may, may be able to be in touch with the sort of seemingly supernatural things that let them see into the future and share them with people. I say they may not be Christian because uh, the Christian ministry hadn't started yet in the Bible, and he's almost certainly not Jewish. The uh, well, the prophet, I suppose, probably was Jewish, but that's not laid out for what uh, 
practice is for that religion either, as far as I know. Um, but I suppose there, you know, we have examples of it in the Bible, so who knows? Um, at least I don't know. But um, so anyway, they're afraid to take on uh, the power of the one who had the prophet tell him he was going to be king. Verse five, and he who was in charge of the house and he who was in charge of the city, the elders also, and those who reared the son, sent to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We will do all you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. So just like that, they decided to not go for war, but go ahead and let him know that the city's his. If he wants to take over, take over, but they're not going to appoint a king over them, meaning they're not going to have someone as a commander over them, sending them out to wars and battles again. Verse 6, then he wrote a letter of second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, were with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So clearly the king's been busy having a good time or, you know, doing what people do. If he's got 70 sons, they're not possibly from one woman. One woman couldn't have that many in her lifetime. So there goes that theory, that Bible thumping nonsense that marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman according to the Bible. Clearly it wasn't. He probably wasn't even married to all the baby mamas. But um, who knows? He's got 70 of them and the powers that be that have just now taken power do, um, in line with the prophecy he was given. Um, is letting them know if you are not going to oppose me militarily, then do what I tell you. Kill the 70 sons to, who would feel they are entitled to rise to power and uh, be leader. He So kill off the opposition so he doesn't have to worry about anyone feeling like they're entitled to be king when the new power steps in, when the new administration starts. Let's see how um, the people take that kind of an offer. Verse 7. So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them to him at Jezreel. Wow. So they took the safe choice. They killed the 70 people that he was requesting. I guess that's in line with the same way uh, we read about a wise woman as, it's, as she's uh, identified. Uh, in the scriptures who advised that they do the same, something similar with a person who was on the run. The person who was on the run was in their city and they were going to tear down the entire city and raise it to the ground um, because the person was hiding out there. So the woman, the wise woman said, no, don't worry about that. Paraphrasing. She's like, hold on. We'll throw his head to out over the wall or something like that. And she, and that's what the people did rather than let the whole city suffer for the one person. They took that one person out and um, gave them up to the oppositions. So um, it sounds like that's what's happened here. They, rather than go to war, defend their city, they just figured it's easier to just, and it, I guess in the big picture, it makes more sense. If you're really just after them 70, why should everyone in the area suffer for that? Um, I guess it militarily, uh, that would make sense. Why lose all those soldiers in a war, even if you're the one winning it? 
or even risk losing them if uh, you don't have to. So that's what they're doing. They chose to take out the 70 heirs to the throne uh, to save the entire city. Verse 8, then a messenger came and told him, saying, they brought the head to the king's sons. And he said, lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. So how gruesome is that? They've slaughtered, killed all the descendants of the king so that they don't have to worry about them uh, wanting power. Put their heads in baskets and now they're on display at the gate of the city so that anyone coming or going to the city would see it. And know that that lineage of kings is done. Verse 9, so it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, you're righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? So he's familiar with the seditious stuff because when he got the prophecy that he was to be named king, and then once he becomes king, he's going to do awful things to the people. He uh, took the prophecy and ran with it. He uh, made sure he ascended to the throne quickly by um, his king, his boss, the one who was already in power, was sick at the time. So uh, while he was sick, he took a heavy cloth and wet it and suffocated the king and just assumed the power. And so he's familiar with that kind of shade, those kind of shady tactics to get what you want. So he sees that they're willing to be the same way. They killed off basically a whole family of people, dozens of people, 70 people, and the men, not just the women, the men, but the men, so that the the uh, bloodline would be limited in that way. Um, so he's, he thinks it's probably pretty cool that they did 70 times worse than he did. Um, let's see. Verse 10. Now know that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So now the new king Jehu is saying, now we know that the prophecies we've gotten that were in the name of the Lord, and I'm pretty sure Lord here is um, being translated in English to Lord as usual from the word, let's see. Yeah, Jehovah. Um, whether it's Jehovah or however you want to pronounce it, that's um, the name or entity that's being translated to the English word Lord here. Um, and so what the what Jehu, the one who has the power now, is saying, now he believes the prophecies he's heard that they'll all come true because just like the prophet told him, uh, it would happen, it's happened. He's in power and the lineage of Ahab is cut off. Um, and that was in a previous uh, reading we did already from given by the prophet Elijah um, and during the, his ministry. Because that's the first Elijah, that the one that was carried away in the UFO, as we call it. Verse 11, so Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel and all his great men and his close acquaintances and, pre and his priests until he left them none remaining. So uh, he's making sure that there's no man around who's going to feel it and want to uh, rise to power by uh, killing who he had to kill, assassinating someone, and taking the throne. He's killed off the uh, 70 sons of the king and their friends and acquaintances too. Verse 12, And he arose and departed and went to Samaria. 
on the way at Beth Ked of the Shepherds. Okay, so um, he's on the move, and it says Beth Ked translates as the shearing house, so presumably that's where shepherds would go to have the wool shaved off of their sheep. Um, so he's headed there. Let's see what happens there. Verse 13. Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are you? So they answered, We're the brothers of Ahaziah. We've come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. So um, Jehu, the king of Judah now, is running into family, friends, acquaintances of the previous administration. The ones he's bloodthirstily killed, I believe. Um, let's see how that goes. And he said, verse 14, he said, take them alive. So they took them alive and killed them at the well of Bethlehem. 42 men, and he left none of them. So now he's well over, it's well over 100 people he's uh, killed in um, um, his pursuit to the throne. And he's getting it. Um, verse 15. Now, um, um, so before we keep moving, so clearly those people were going to go see the previous people in power, and it cost them their lives. As soon as he knew that that's who they were, allied with the people he's killed, he killed them too. Verse 15. Now, when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right? as my heart is toward your heart. And Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up to him into his into the chariot. So Jehu's on his way as he's gotten power now and he's killing people all along the way, a path of blood. And he's running to someone now. Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, who, even though the people get demonized by certain preachers, are is a Kenite, as they're called. It's a descendant of Cain, the first person to shed blood in the Bible who killed his brother in a quick instant rage, killed his brother Abel uh, back in the book of Genesis. He had descendants who survived the flood, according to the scriptures, and they that's who we're talking about here. Um, the Jehonadab and uh, the son of Rechab. And as we've read before, even though they get demonized by certain religion, the scriptures themselves say that the uh, Kenites are always going to have a place. Uh, the descendants, the Rechabites, as they're called, are always going to have a place um, in front of the Lord because they're just that faithful. So it makes no sense why um, certain religious people um, use that to intrigue people uh, with lies. I mean, um, I can't see them as mistakes when you repeat them every single ep uh, time you're in front of a pulpit. It, it's got to be intentional. Anyway, verse 16, then he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. So when Jehu ran into this Kenite, he um, asked him, are we really cool? And he's like, yeah. So then he, just to feel him out, he wanted to make sure. He's like, okay, well, if we're cool, you come take a ride with me. And now the Kenite is riding with the new king, Jehu, 
and he's gonna he's telling him now watch all the things I'll do to please God. Um, we've seen already he's killed a whole bunch of people, over a hundred um, on his way. So I guess the fact that the Kenite is riding with him, um, uh, maybe that should make him feel safe. Uh, um, verse seventeen. And when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained to Ahab in Samaria until he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Elijah. So Ahab, uh, his apparently his, among other things, the idolatry that all that both kingdoms partake in. Um, the other thing that I guess Ahab is most guilty of, uh, according to the narrators as we've been reading, is when uh, Ahab um, had the wife Jezebel, I believe it's the same Ahab, and um, the things they did in killing people to take their property, even though they had plenty already, just like the rich one to 3% in this country, still it's not enough where they're still allowed to take up everything, um, even though they have more than they already can use and they're people with nothing, they're still allowed to do it so far. They have been allowed to, that really should stop. God willing it will. Um, verse 17, and when he came to Samaria, he's fulfilled the prophecy that Elijah gave when, um, uh, when those things happened with Jezebel um, about them having to pay for it in blood. He's the one fulfilling the prophecy now. Verse 18, then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu, Jehu will serve him much. So now, even though Jehu has gotten this prophecy from a different deity, the deity that, like you said, was uh, identified in the English as the word Lord, um, is actually Jehovah, um, however you want to pronounce it, Y-E-H-O-V-A. Um, at least that's how it's translated in the scripture. Um, so that's the entity that gave the prophecy to him that let him know this, this, and this is going to happen and you're going to become the king. Now it's come true. But is that the entity he's praising and worshiping now that, that, that the prophecy came true? No, he's turned to Baal, another entity, deity. That translates to Baal in English. I guess that's English. And it translates to the word, um, it means masters. That's what the people would worship again and again, like we've read about. Um, so, and that just that quickly is who he's giving praise to, not to, as you might, and, and to him, that's God. So it's not like he thinks he's being sacrilegious any more than people in modern times call different entities God. They think that they're saying God. And in English, yeah, it's God and Lord. But in reality, they're, worse. they're talking about different deities, different entities. And even here again in the Bible, here's another one being worshipped besides the Jewish God, besides the Christian God, besides the Catholic God. You have Baal also being worshipped again and again, actually. We've seen Baal being worshipped, I think, even since Genesis, before the uh, Christian ministry, uh, Christian tenets are laid out in the Bible. Um, let's see, verse 18. Then Jehu gathered all the people together. Okay, so he's letting them know he's going to be devout. A devout, just like people would say now they're a devout Christian. He's saying he's going to be devout and devoted to Baal. And that's basically going to be the national religion. Just like even though America doesn't actually have a, a, a national language or religion, 
uh, it claims to be a Christian nation. It doesn't follow much of anything that Christ says at all. But um, they're going to say they're a Baal nation. Verse 19, Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshipers of Baal. So now, that's kind of a, I don't know, that seems like a shady way to get to what you're trying to do. If he's really just trying to take out all the Baal worshipers, why wouldn't he just um, proclaim a Baal holiday and then wherever people show up on their regular holiday to worship, then uh, do what you got to do. But instead, he's basically drafting the people, making it mandatory that um, people show up and give praise and worship to Baal. But as it says, the narrator is letting us know he's acting deceptively. So he's not doing this as it turns out to uh, give praise to Baal, the masters, the idolatry, the other religions that people worship throughout the Bible. Um, he's not actually doing it for that. He's doing it instead to uh, call out the uh, the um, uh, people who have fallen into that idolatry as it's considered. Verse 20, and Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. So again, he's creating a holiday just like we have Christmas, we have um, Easter, we have uh, Halloween. He's proclaiming a holiday for Baal. Verse 21, then Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal and the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. So it's a huge party. Everyone's turned out for the holiday. Now again, I think it's kind of shady to sort of demand people show up for it um, and then have it be under the guise that you worship Baal. Because just like Halloween, people may dress up for a costume party or something. That doesn't mean they actually believe in the different things that surround uh, some people's interpretations and beliefs about what Halloween is. The same thing with Christmas and Easter. Not everyone even agrees on what those holidays are, mean, or even the date of them in the case of Christmas. So it seems a slippery, dangerous, slippery slope to assume that anyone who shows up to that party is a worshiper of Baal when you've proclaimed a holiday, basically demanded a national holiday that you basically have to recognize. But maybe not. Let's see how it goes. Verse 22, and he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. So now, not only is he proclaimed the holiday, he's having a party, and he's even got special clothes for them to put out, uh, put on if they're Baal worshipers. This is reminding me of uh, uh, an American werewolf in Paris when the, the remake, not the original, the remake in Paris where they did something similar. The werewolves threw a party and had people show up dressed in a certain way and then locked them in the temple and turned into werewolves and ate them all. A great scary movie if you're into scary movies but um so it sounds like that's what he's doing here he's having the people gather together identify themselves with the clothes they put on as being part of the cult because that's basically what it'd be considered in modern times and um having them all setting them all up 
Let's see what he does. Verse 23. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, but only the worshipers of Baal. So here's where he's, I guess, making sure he doesn't kill any, kill any innocents. He's uh, Jehu uh, and Jehonadab, the Kenite um, descendant, are um, head of the, uh, what do they call them, the hosts, what is the, masters of ceremony. So they're uh, making sure that they don't have anyone worship, worshiping uh, Jehovah, the, again, the entity that the prophet uh, gave him his prophecy that he'd be king in the name of uh, was Jehovah. So he's saying, make sure nobody here is worshiping Jehovah. Uh, and everyone there present at the party is a, a Baal worshiper. Make sure that they're identified by their religion and loyal to it. Um, verse um, 24. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself 80 men on the outside and had said, if any of the men whom I've brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it shall be his life for the life of the other. So now um, Jehu's got the party going and he's got 80 guards set up on the perimeter and telling them it's your life for theirs. If you let one of them go free, he's going to kill you. So make sure you guard the gates with your life. Uh, verse 25, now it happened. As soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guards and to the captains, go in and kill them. Let no one come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword. But the guard, then the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. So just like that, the slaughter has begun. He's locked all the doors, just like in the movie with the werewolves. He's locked all the doors so that the people can't escape, told the guards to guard the doors with their lives. And now he's um, given the command to just go throughout the crowd and kill them all. Um, and, well, he's making the burn offering first. Um, so to make it um, official, like a ritual, to make it religious, to make it dedicated to God to show his zeal for the Lord as he put it in the previous verse we read and so now he's killing them verse 26 and they brought the sacred fluid for the out of the temple of Baal and burned them so um he's doing all this in his zeal for his religion and uh, going through killing all those people and if I remember right the commandment is thou shalt not kill that's exactly what he's done, and he's doing it in the name of God, thinking he's being righteous. Uh, and no one, it seems, is stopping it. Um, so he's torn down the pillars, you know, the phallic symbols uh, in plain English. They're shaped like big, giant penises, uh, the same way the Washington Monument is long and tall and hard. It's, it's just people's obsession with patriarchy, even down to its design and national monuments. Um, but that's what he's, they've torn down the pillars that they've used to worship Baal. So maybe it's like a totem pole, maybe it's like a monument. No, no, it's a long time ago. But he's tearing it all down and burning it. Verse 37, then they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it 
a refuse dump, dump to this day. So um, all the religion, religion has been destroyed, torn down, broken down, burned, and um, it's saying uh, it's been turned into a dump to this day. Um, and it says to this day, meaning to the point where the narrator has documented or scribed it, not necessarily to this modern day 2023 when I'm reading this to you. Verse 28, thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So um, the narrator is letting us know this is how Jehu basically cleansed the land of idolatry, um, wiped out opposing religions uh, while he was in power. Verse 29, however, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nadab, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at the at Bethel and Dan. So even though he, he's not uh, persuaded to worship Baal, uh, he's willing to kill for Baal, um, massacre people, um, and because Baal offends uh, Jehovah, this other religion, this other entity, this other deity. He's willing to do all that because he's that dedicated. But then at the same, um, at the same time, he's also worshiping golden calves, two ca cows. He's worshiping cows, golden cows that were set up previously from one end of the area to the other so that wherever you're at in the area, if you need to head to church, basically, you can find someplace close. But when you get there, you're worshiping cows. They've given credit to cows, golden cows, as being the ones who rescued them when they were enslaved in Africa and brought them to where they are to this point. That's what they've set up as people and consistently continue to worship. And he's doing that even though he just said and has done all of that stuff for a different entity, Jehovah. So, you know, I guess just like in modern times, God-fearing Christian people, People label themselves God-fearing and Christian, and yet they do just the opposite. America is an excellent example of that. Verse 29, however, Jehu did not turn away. Oh, sorry, so verse 30. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So now we have uh, it being said that the Lord is saying this to Jehu, someone who just broke the commandment of the same Lord. I mean, isn't it the Lord who says thou shalt not kill? Um, yet that's what Jehu has done to uh, the extent of hundred, at least a hundred people, uh, just murdered them. Um, he's done all that and he's worshiping those other uh, entities, those cows. Yet we have here the Lord delivering a personal message to Jehu and it's saying Lord the Lord said it to him so it's not like it's saying a prophet is saying it uh it's not like he's it's saying he um uh saw it in a crystal ball it's saying the Lord said it to him and like we said before um according to the New Testament what we read in the Christian stuff part of the Bible the Lord hasn't no one's heard the Lord's voice or seen the Lord's form so how can that possibly make sense that we have someone here doing all that <clears throat> excuse me also being idolatrous with cows and still getting a personal message from the lord so as always believe what you want but he's also been given a prophecy a promise even 
that because he's been so faithful in all his killing that we were told thou shalt not do, but because he's done all of that killing, now he's being rewarded with the dynasty that's going to extend to four generations. Does that sound consistent? For God, verse 31, but Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who had made Israel sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the narrator is making it clear here that even though he's got, Jehu's gotten these prophecies, presumably directly from God, if you want to believe that, that's not making him be any more faithful to that religion. He's still worshiping the cows. So it, it, I don't understand. However, whatever it is, whatever the case may be, he's still worshiping the golden cows that were set up previously by another administration. That's what he's being faithful to, even though the other entities, the one fulfilling prophecies being given to him. Again, just like in modern times, people call themselves Christians, but ignore everything Jesus says. How can that pop? And I guess things like this make them think that that's how it can be righteous because they still get blessed with different things like consider the Mormons, um, completely opposite things of what the Bible says and opposite of what Christ says. And yet uh, they're accepted as a, a world religion, um, but it's opposite what the Bible actually says. And yet it's not Christian, but they say they are. It's just an example of how religion works. It doesn't mean ever, a religion is not the same thing as Christianity. They're synonymous, but they're not actually the same thing at all. Um, verse 32, in those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel, and Isaiah conquered them in all the territory of Israel. Excuse me. So it seems as time has passed, <clears throat> excuse me, the parts of the kingdom are crumbling away from, uh, from them. And saying Haziel, and I'm pretty sure that was um, the Syrian king, has been taking over territories. <clears throat> excuse me, 30, verse 33. From the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, and Abner. I'm sorry, Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. So uh, basically, the sides that the tribes on the east side of the Jordan River um, took possession of, colonized, occupied, when the people were on their way from the enslavement in Africa, as they crossed over the Jordan River from the east side to the west side, <clears throat> before they crossed over, excuse me, before they crossed over, they took possession of parts of the eastern part, but it seems here that that's been taken back, uh, not back necessarily by the Ammonites and all who were do, who were living there when the children of Israel got there, but instead Syria now is taking over those areas um, that were occupied by the Israelites. Verse thirty-four, and uh, probably the narrator will make it attributed to fact that the people weren't faithful to their religion. Uh, verse 34, and now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So the narrator is letting us know that just like we're in the book of Second Kings, it talks about the different kings of Israel and Judah, 
Um, there's also the books of the Chronicles, which I believe appear next in the Bible chronologically. Um, there's more stories about these same events and kings and the things that they did in the Chronicles. So we'll probably get even more different details about when we get to that point in the Old Testament, as it's called. Um, verse 35, so Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So now Jehu has died, is what that rested with his fathers is saying. Um, and now his next son is has risen to power, fulfilling at least the first part of that prophecy about him having four generations of uh, kings after him. Um, and they buried him in Samaria. Um, let's see, verse 36, and the period that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. So um, that's how long that king lasted. So even though the different uh, events aren't um, identified by date, starting point and ending point exactly, we know that the course of the time that he was king, according to the narrative, is was 28 years. Um and that was the time of Jehu. Um, and that was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for the Naked Truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, my coming can clear my throat. Uh, I hope it's a blessing for you, and I hope you'll join me again. And one other side note, I mentioned the whole Mormon thing. It wasn't by chance, because I don't know if you know it, but in America, there's a state with a senator who identifies as Mormon. Um, and not specifically about him, but about the religion itself and about the state. They recently, one of the states recently that accepts Mormonism as its uh, major religion, recently outlawed, made it illegal for adult content providers with a website to make their that uh, information freely available to people in that state. I think it's Utah. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's Utah. Um, so uh, in doing that, well, and here's where the grace of God comes in. Um, in. In doing that, it would make it a crime for me to keep my site from T-Girl available um, because it's uh, not all of it, clearly, but the majority of it was uh, adult content. So um, even though we have exam examples of public sex in the Bible and nudity, public nudity in the Bible, even uh, what we call pornography in the Bible, uh, group sex in public in the Bible, those religious people, Bible thumpers, will ignore all of that and enforce the teachings of men. The thing Jesus warns us about, to know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority, that that's what the will of God is. Because people can pass off anything as righteousness, religious doctrine, but in reality, if you're a Christian, it's supposed to align with what Jesus says. And once again, you see it does not. The grace of God, I would just share with you before I end here, is um, the, in the grace of God, looking out for me, the website had been down for about a month because there were background issues with the uh, host. All of a sudden, after 20 years of having a website with them, same host for all this time, suddenly they said, they couldn't identify my, they didn't have, they needed proof of my identity, who I actually was, as if I hadn't, didn't do that already 20 years ago when I set up the site. So rather than engage all of that, 
I decided I uh, just moved to the site, take, take it um, or leave the site, let the site go and sort of uh, rebrand, reproduce, move it somewhere else in a different way, different form. I hadn't quite decided how yet, but I decided that that's the path I would, uh, would probably be the best path to take. And thank God I did, because the date that it officially took place was May, uh, May 2nd, like yesterday. Um, yeah, yesterday, which actually it turned out to be the day that that law took place. And again, I think it's Utah, where if you are an adult content provider, then that makes it criminal in their state for you to provide that. To them. So it takes money to block a whole state's IP addresses, <clears throat> excuse me, from being able to access your website. So even though the same Bible thumping right wing religious hypocrites say they're for smaller government and they're for individual, um, the individual right to expression and freedom of speech, they aren't for that at all. Because why in the world would it be on me to make what I put out there freely not available to someone else rather than letting the onus be on you as a parent to teach your kids? Oh, to either wait till they access stuff like that, or that either you can show love and let them know there are happen to be gay people, <clears throat> excuse me, trans people, gay people, LGBT people in the world, and teach them the real view of the world and accept it, or teach your kids that okay, porn is not for you till you grow up, whatever you want to do. But why should it be on the content provider to block all of those addresses instead of on the individual to? not go there. It just doesn't make sense. If you don't want to go to 7-Eleven, don't go to 7-Eleven. Go to Circle K. Go wherever you want to go. But it doesn't make sense for it to be on the person who has the storefront to um, be the um, decider of where you surf your internet to. That just doesn't make sense to me. But like I said, the grace of it all is the date, the timing, everything worked out beautifully. So in the meantime, while I decide how I'm going to regroup it and try and, because I still like to make the Naked Truth content of freely available, regardless of the adult content, although I don't mind making that available too, that's why I put it out there. Um, I just figured I'd point out to you how God is able to work in the big picture of things. When they happen, they don't necessarily seem like good things. Uh, and it's not gospel, it's not gospel, but it is in the Bible. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good another way of being targeted by uh, the powers that be and yet it was thwarted thank god by god in my opinion in my belief system that that's how it worked out the dates and timing and everything were just too serendipitous for it to be accidental in my belief system so having said all that i thank you for joining me for the naked truth and look forward to next time god bless you i love you for it see you next time peace be with you